0: This morning we continue our series in the early chapters of Genesis, looking at Genesis 8, verses 20 to 22, and then chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. Um, Those passages are printed on the back of your order of worship, if you'd like to reference them there. The context is this. Noah and his family and the animals have spent now over a year in the ark. They have floated on the waters of the flood that brought destruction and death to the whole world. And now, after the waters have receded and the rains have stopped, the ground has dried. And God has sent Noah and his family and the animals as well out into a new world, the new world that he has brought into existence by his judgment. And in this passage, we read of what takes place immediately after these things, what takes place. First, Noah offers a sacrifice To God, a burnt offering. And then God, in response to that sacrifice, makes a covenant with Noah. And not only with Noah, but all of his posterity. And also with the animals and with their posterity as well. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. It is more to be desired than gold, friends. Even much fine gold. God's word is sweeter than honey, sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. Listen and receive it now. Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when Yahweh smelled the pleasing aroma, Yahweh said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, It is for every beast of the earth. That is, his covenant is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. When the, and the waters shall never again become a flood, to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true, and it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've caused all the Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, and we ask now that by your grace and by your Spirit, you would enable us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this portion of your word that we might hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All of us are at times, I think, tempted to believe that God might be capricious, that he might be arbitrary, that he might be inconsistent. But the living God, the God who was revealed to us In the scriptures is none of those things. No, the God revealed to us in the scriptures is faithful. He is constant. He is someone we can count on. His love and strength and grace are things we can depend on all the time, forever. And one of the primary ways that the scriptures do this, that they reveal God's faithful character and nature, is by means of his covenants, the covenants that he establishes with us. Now, there is but one overarching covenant of grace, a covenant between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring about the redemption of the human race. But that one overarching covenant has many Um, expressions or multiple expressions. And this covenant that God makes with Noah here in our text this morning, and also as we'll see with the animals as well, is the first explicit covenant in the scriptures. The first time that word is used in the Bible. It will be followed, of course, by God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis, his covenant with Moses and the people of Israel in Exodus, his covenant with David, and his posterity in Second Samuel 7, and finally in the new covenant, which will be established by our Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. These five covenants are in many ways the backbone, the skeleton of the scriptures, the line that traces through the Bible the continued and unfolding faithfulness of God. They build upon one another these covenants. And as such, our text this morning is a significant one, not only in its immediate context, but in terms of understanding the rest of the biblical story and indeed our world today, a world that has lived yet still in light of God's covenant with Noah and with all flesh. Our text this morning begins with Noah's first action after departing from the ark, There are a lot of things Noah might have done, of course, in this situation. He might have, um, as the only eight living people now left on the earth, he might have gone and looked for a water source, right? He might have sent his sons out to scout out some fruit trees, find some orchards, or maybe a likely place to get some seeds in the ground. Uh, Without a doubt, Noah did at some point do those things in order for the human race to be continued. But the first thing that Noah rightly did after leaving the ark was to build not a house for himself, but a house for God, so to speak, to build an altar and offer on that offer a sacrifice to the living God. And what a sacrifice he offered, right? Genesis 8 tells us Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took some of every clean animal, every clean animal that was on the ark and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Remember, Noah brought seven pairs of clean animals and clean birds with him on the ark and this is why he did it, that he might offer a portion of those animals of every kind to the Lord in sacrifice. This was a huge sacrifice. It must have taken a long time to accomplish. This was not a few hours' work. This was something that Noah and his family put their backs into. They, they, they dedicated themselves to it until it was completed. And with every animal, every bird that they put to death on that altar, Noah was symbolically and ritually communicating to God his obedience, his submission, his faith, his understanding that he and his family, because they were sinners, lived under God's just sentence of death and was only because of God's free grace and mercy that they and they alone had been spared from the flood. They also rightly might have been judged by God. And so they offer propitiation, they offer sacrifice on their own behalf. God accepts Noah's sacrifice. And again, in his own free grace and mercy, he pledges something in response to it. He swears an oath. He says, I will never again destroy every living creature as I did in the flood. And even more than that, God swears an oath that instead of destroying the earth, he will do the opposite. He will actually sustain it. While the earth remains, God says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Both of these aspects of this covenant are important, right? God is not only pledging not to destroy human and animal life, again, as he did in the flood, he's also swearing an oath that come what may, he will preserve life human and animal life. He will covenant with the earth itself, as it says in chapter nine, that he might preserve the day and the night, preserve the seasons, preserve the rain and the sun, preserve all that is necessary on this planet to sustain human and animal life of all kinds. Right? The reason that the sun rises and sets, the reason the earth rotates and the seasons come and go is because of the faithfulness of God, because of his present preservation of those things. The reason the rain falls and the sun shines is because God wills it to be so, and he does it faithfully because he has sworn an oath to us that he will. Now, notice that God's covenant here is not dependent on anyone but himself. His covenant here is not related to humanity maintaining some level of righteousness or avoiding a certain level of wickedness. No, he says explicitly, I know that man's intentions from youth are inclined toward evil. He knows of the sinfulness of humanity, and yet he promises these things. This covenant is pure grace. It is completely made God's initiative. It is unconditional in that sense. And beloved, this is a fundamental aspect of the character of our God. He is kind and gracious and patient even to those who reject him and hate him. As our Lord Jesus made clear in his teaching from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, God, because of his covenant here in Genesis with Noah and his posterity, makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall, not only on the just, but also on the unjust, not only on the righteous, but also on the wicked. He preserves the life of both the righteous and those who hate him as well. I mean, think about that. what that means for a moment in terms of the character and nature of God. Think about all the people down to the centuries since this covenant was made who have hated God, either explicitly in their words or implicitly in their actions, right? Men of violence have done so much evil in this world. Men of corruption, men of greed and bitterness, men with no regard for human life, the authority of God and yet God has loved them and been gracious to every single one of them. For their sake he has preserved the seasons and the rain and the sun and the growing of their crops and the production of oxygen and every single little thing that goes into the continuance of life on this planet. All this Not only for those who love him, but also for the benefit of men and women who have hated him and rebelled against him and raised their fist at him. This is the character and nature of our God. And this is why he calls us to love our enemies, those who hate us, because he has loved them first and he loves them still. Even today, even today, he makes the rain to fall the sun to shine on both the just as well as the unjust. He continues this covenant that he established with Noah at the very beginning. And then in Genesis 9, we discover something interesting. We discover that God's covenant in this passage is not only made with Noah and humanity, it is also a covenant that he makes with the animals as well, with the animal kingdom. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 9, God says to Noah and his sons, He says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. That makes sense. We expect that. But the sentence doesn't end there. He goes on, He says, And with every living creature that is with you, that is united to you, right? The birds, just in case. They wonder if some are left out. He names them all, all the categories. The birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every, the covenant that God makes is for every beast of the earth. This is a covenant with the beasts, friends. God, by his own promise, binds himself in a covenant, not only with humanity, the unquestioned crown of his creation, but also with the animals that came out of the ark, with Noah. In other words, God's covenant here in Genesis 9 is established not only with men and women and children. He also makes covenant with lions and with the bears and with the sheep and with the eagles and with the lizards and the blue jays and the alligators and the deer, the rabbits and all the creatures that he has made. He covenants intentionally, specifically with them as well. I don't know about you, but I find this aspect of the Noahic Covenant to be fascinating. Friends, animals matter to God. They're important to him. And, that, and that's really been apparent all throughout this whole flood narrative. right? The reason that God commands Noah to build such a massive ark at such great expense and trouble is because he wants animals to go into it. If the ark only had to hold the eight human beings that would live, it would have been exponentially smaller. But the ark, the vessel of God's salvation, had to be very large because it needed to include room for all the animals as well. And God's spirit brings the animals miraculously from all corners of the earth so that they will find shelter on the ark that Noah has crafted for them. And God's spirit dwells with the animals during that whole year on the ark, keeping them safe, making sure the lions don't eat the sheep, keeping them alive and ready to re-enter the new world that would await them. And now God intentionally names and includes the animals here in his covenant with Noah after the flood. He will preserve and protect them as well as humanity. Two points here I want to make about God's care and concern for animals. The first is that God's concern for animals all throughout this narrative and indeed throughout the scriptures, remember the words of God at the end of Jonah, right? Why should he not have mercy on Nineveh? There are thousands of people that live there and also many cattle, he says. God's concern for animals throughout this narrative and throughout all of the scriptures is a fundamental demonstration of God's commitment to the physical material of His creation. Beloved, God loves the stuff that He has made. He loves bodies, not just human bodies, but animal bodies as well. He loves the the rocks, He loves the ground, He delights in it. He made it all. He loves the grace of a deer as it runs through a forest, right? Have you seen that? It's amazing. God did that because he thinks it's awesome. God delights in the color of the butterflies it dances over a field of flowers, right? Who could paint a portrait that could capture that fully? No one. God did that because he wants it to happen. He loves it. God rejoices in the majesty and power and strength of the blue whale right as it surfaces on the face of the waters. As Psalm 104 tells us, God watches over the life of each animal, each one. He provides, as our Lord says, for all the sparrows of the field. He gives them their food in due season. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on them as well. And his covenant with the animals here in Genesis 9 is a dramatic confirmation of the physical nature of the redemption that we look for. It is bodily. It is material. It is creational. He will bring it one day through his son on the last day. Given what the scriptures here teach and elsewhere, here and elsewhere, It is impossible, friends, for me to comprehend a new heavens and a new earth that will not include not only us and our bodies, but also the animal kingdom as well. Surely God intends for his creation to continue forever. The second point I want to make is that God's love for animals teaches us that it is good for us to love animals as well. It's a good thing whether it's the wild animals in nature that we observe from a distance or the domesticated animals, uh, somewhat domesticated at least, that we bring into our homes to share our lives, it is good and right for us to do things, to love animals, to care about animals, to find joy in them. When we do these things, we are imitating God's own character. And that means that if any of you young people today, children today, are thinking about what you might want to do one day with your lives and one of the things you might be thinking about is that I want to work with animals in some way, right? I want to be a veterinarian maybe or a scientist who studies animals or a farmer who raises and cultivates animals. I want you to hear today from your pastor that those are all godly and righteous things to do with your lives. Right, as you get older, don't let anyone tell you that an occupation that involves working with animals isn't spiritual enough. Because when you love and care for animals, you imitate God and his love for his creation. The final thing I want to comment on this morning is the sign of this covenant that God makes with Noah and the animals. In verses 12 and 13, God says, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, God says, this is the sign. I have set my bow in the cloud. It's, I'm putting it up. I'm taking it off of my arm. I'm putting it up in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The sign of God's covenant with Noah is, of course, the bow that he puts in the cloud, the rainbow. God nearly destroyed all of his creation because of this great sin of humanity. But in response to the sacrifice offered by Noah, God's wrath against the earth has now been turned away. And remember, that sacrifice isn't just something Noah does on his own. It is offered, we know, in union with the sacrifice that will come one day in our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect fulfillment of Noah's sacrifices in all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And so because of that sacrifice, God's wrath has been turned away and he has hung up his bow in the clouds. Now notice that the sign of the rainbow isn't really for us so much as it is for God. He says in verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I, God says, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow was put by God into the clouds as a memorial so that in his grace he will see it and remember it and keep his promise to us, his creatures. Now, of course, God doesn't need, quote-unquote, the rainbow in order to do this, in order to maintain his covenant, but he establishes it as a living sign of his promise so that we will be assured of his continued faithfulness, of his continuing remembrance To be faithful to preserve his creation. In our modern age, of course, the rainbow has been co opted as a symbol. One of the oldest and most important of the images in the scriptures, Christian images, has been in a very real sense taken, stolen by our culture and used as a sign of pride and rebellion against God, against his moral authority. And I think that's deeply sad and troubling. But I'll also say this, in God's providence, I don't think, I mean, God is sovereign, right? So that hasn't happened outside of his sovereignty. In God's providence, I think it's no accident that the rainbow, in particular, the rainbow, is the symbol that has been co-opted in a manner that our culture has largely used as a means of rebelling against and even mocking God's authority. Because, remember, what is the rainbow? It is God's chosen sign of his benevolence, of his grace, of his kindness, of his patience toward all of the human race. Not some of the human race, but toward all of humanity. Even those who mock him and hate him. Beloved, do not be worried. It is impossible for the sign of the rainbow to be corrupted by sinful men. Now people may think they're doing that, but they're not. Because the rainbow is God's chosen sign, not ours. And in particular, the rainbow is the sign of God's covenant that he chose so that he would see it and remember his everlasting covenant, his eternal covenant, between himself and every living creature on the earth, no matter how sinful, no matter how wicked, no matter how rebellious. And so the next time that we see the rainbow being used in ways that are unrighteous, perhaps we should be reminded of what it's for. It's a sign of this covenant that God has made with all living flesh, how he loves all his creations, including sinners, which are all of us. And remember also the words of our Lord Jesus who taught us to be like God, like our Heavenly Father. He said, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But our Lord says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Why? so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, that you might imitate God. This is what God does, Jesus is saying. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on both the just and the unjust. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this covenant that you've established. We thank you for the ways you continue to be faithful to it and will be faithful to it. Give us the hope and confidence, Father, of those who can put our trust in your steadfast love for us and for all the world. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.